Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerd sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching Badass Rockabilly Track. Now initializing Sparkler Explosives mode. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week we'll break down the finale of WandaVision and what it could mean for the MCU. We're also reviewing Rhea and the Last Dragon and AW's Revolution. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. All right, so this week's review comes from Travis Armshaw from over on Facebook. Uh, He wrote, very entertaining, lots of knowledge and insight. Love their different perspectives on comics and the recent WandaVision episodes. Hell yeah, we enjoy breaking down all that stuff for you guys, so thank you for listening. That's right, and Travis actually already DM'd us his address, so we're going to be sending some show swag uh, shortly your way, Travis. Speaking of show swag, guys, if you buy anything from T Public and you post it on social media, go ahead and tag us, and we'll also send you some show swag if you would like. You know, nothing major, just some pins, you know, magnets, you know, stuff like that, stickers. But, you know, we definitely would appreciate it. So, and we know that you're buying the stuff, but, you know, share with your friends. Spread the word. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, up first, Bruce Campbell has Evil Dead Rise filming updates. So, yes, we've learned that filming on Evil Dead Rises should actually start this year in New Zealand. Uh, because it's the safest country to shoot in due to its low rates in coronavirus cases. Uh, so this is fantastic news. It was just announced last year that we would be getting another Evil Dead film. Unfortunately, Bruce Campbell would not be returning as his iconic character Ash this time around. Instead, we'll be following a female protagonist who gets involved fighting evil to protect her family. So we do know that the film is going to be taking place in a modern day urban setting, uh, which is a first for the movies because it usually takes place in a cabin in the woods, obviously. In an interview, Bruce Campbell was quoted as saying, we're going to have a heroine, a woman in charge, and she's going to try to save her family. Uh, The main key with Evil Dead is they're just regular people who are battling what seems to be unstoppable evil. And so that's the horror. That's where it comes from. It's not someone who's skilled. They're not fighting, you know, a soldier or a scientist. They're not fighting anybody more than your average neighbor. This one is going to be a similar thing. While it's definitely sad that, you know, Ash isn't going to be the center of the story this time around. 
you know, I'm still excited for more Evil Dead regardless. Yeah, I mean, we already had a female Ash before. I feel like they're just going to, you know, make a whole new type of character going forward. That's the that's the vibe I get from this article in general. Yeah, uh, and so I, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. I did enjoy the remake, but it just feels like a completely mm. different film to me. I just hope they're able to capture, like, the charm of the original, like, Evil Dead films this time around. Because while... You know, the the remake was a fantastic horror film and just a complete, like, splatterfest that I loved. Um, it just mm -hmm. still, for some reason, didn't feel like an Evil Dead film, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it just didn't have that comedic tone, you know, that the originals had. Agreed. All right, up next, Kevin Feige reveals status of She-Hulk and Moon Knight series. Yes, in a recent interview with The Companion, uh, Kevin Faki provided a short update on both of the series and hinted that they will begin production in the coming weeks. So yes, he's quoted as saying, in a few weeks we start She-Hulk, and a week or so uh, we'll be starting Moon Knight in addition to our features. So it looks like those series will be coming sooner than later. In addition, we also have some casting news uh, for She-Hulk. This is coming from the Illuminati. Uh, they're saying that they're casting a shapeshifter uh, with the codename A Dude. Uh, she is described as a 20 to 30 year old woman with shapeshifting abilities and a love for pop culture. She will apparently use those powers to manipulate her success. So at first I was thinking, you know, could this possibly be Mystique? But that's just me wanting Mystique in the MCU. Uh -huh. <laughs> Cause, because the report is stating that it could be possibly be the comic character just zinda a scroll who begins as a rival to she-hulk but eventually becomes her friend and confidant so i'm not familiar with the character at all but i didn't really like take a deep dive on the she-hulk like you know solo series uh so i mean it is what it is uh but we also know that we're going to be getting plenty of scroll action you know with captain marvel 2 and then also uh with the secret invasion series coming to disney plus soon so i'm sure it's all gonna tie in because that's what marvel does exactly well up next we got a rumor that rob zombie is working on a new monsters movie Murphy's Multiverse is reporting that production is set to kick off in Budapest in early May and that Sherry Moon Zombie is been cast as Lily Munster. I really hope that's not true. Um, and also uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips from Lords of Salem and Three from Hell will play Herman with Daniel Roebuck and Richard Brake uh, also in undisclosed roles. So I was recently watching the Adams Family, like animated film that came out like last year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty good. But while I was watching it, I actually was like, why haven't they done anything like this for the Munsters? You know, it, it feels they haven't done any films. Like they try to bring it back on like television a few times and they've like failed miserably. But it just feels like this would translate even more so than the Addams Family to like, you know, a mainstream like film or series even. So like I wasn't surprised that this was in the works when I heard about it. I'm just surprised that they're going the Rob Zombie route. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a fan of Rob Zombie. I am like, I, you know, his new album's coming out on Friday. I'll be downloading it right away. <laughs> um, I didn't hate, you know, his two Halloween films. Uh, I thought there was bits and pieces that were good, actually, with both of them. I know that's sacrilege, but I do think they're better than some of, you know, the sequels in the franchise. I will defend that. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I know Rob Zombie is like a huge Monsters fan, but I would just, I can't imagine him doing something, you know, mainstream, where I feel like this could actually be a potential, like, you know, huge franchise for Universal. You know, akin to the Addams Family. Exactly. So, like I, I look at um, you know the Adams Family Values films from like what the '90s, and I feel like that would be perfect if done with the monsters. Like, yes. If they did that, that would sell easy right now. <laughs> Growing up as a kid, I was always a bigger like monsters fan than I was you know an Adams Family fan, and mm. I didn't have like the films that came out in like you know the early to mid '90s at that time. But like when comparing the two shows. You know, I would take the Munsters, you know, over the Adams Family any day of the week. So, um, and that's really why it dawned on me while watching the, you know, the movie. I was like, why the fuck have they done this with the Munsters? I just can't imagine Rob Zombie, though, yes. doing something that's not, like, edgier or darker. And like I said, I know Rob Zombie is a huge Munsters fan, but I just can't imagine Universal wanting to go down that route with him just because I don't know if he'd be capable to do a mainstream version or if he'd want to do a mainstream version of, you know, this, you know, story. Um, you know, I could definitely see him wanting to do like an R-rated version of the Monsters, uh-huh. but would Universal really want that? So, um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I love Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, but I don't know if I want that you know, with the monsters, you know, <laughs> revival. So like that tone and everything like that, you know, and maybe he, this is a new leaf type of thing. Like he wants to make a family friendly film and this is just his way of getting into that. I, I just, know. I just can't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this rumor is just total bullshit. I really do. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like they're probably working on a monsters project. I just can't uh-huh. imagine Rob Zombie you know, being attached to it. And Universal has a history with Zombie because I believe they originally, um, you know, produced House of a Thousand Corpses. And then once they got the finished product, they were like, what the hell is this? And they just like shelved it, basically. And Zombie, I think, bought it back from them and then had to shop it around to other studios to get it released. So I would be really surprised if they knocked on his door you know, to bring back, mm-hmm. you know, the monsters. So especially something that potentially could have such mainstream appeal, you know, I mean, with, you know, movies like, you know, Hotel Transylvania, you know, being huge successes and, you know, the Adams family. I just I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm I, I'm kind of curious to see what it'd be like, but at the same time, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. All right. We also got some news for the boys spinoff series. So yes, the project was first announced uh, for development in September. It's set at America's only college exclusively for young adult superheroes run by Vought uh, International. Uh, You know, they, I guess, just casted Lizzie Bordway and Jazz Sinclair um, for the ensemble cast. It's said that the untitled series is described as irreverent, an R-rated show that explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual, and moral boundaries to the test, competing for the best contacts in the best cities. Uh, sounds like a fantastic idea, honestly. Like, it's... A, <laughs> like Harry Potter on crack, right? Well, it's it's sky high rated R, or um, in the anime world, oh, it's I My for- Hero Academia rated R. <laughs> I forgot about Sky High. 
That was uh, with uh, Kurt Russell, right? Yes. Okay. Broadway and Sinclair will both be playing young superheroes. Sinclair was recently on The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So some people might know her. I do yes. not, though, Christian. Do you? <laughs> I do know her. Uh, she is a good actress. Uh, I, 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 I'm kind of interested in what this series could be. Oh, uh, absolutely. Especially as, um, you know, I think there's a lot of potential there with this type of story. You know, when you have all these teens trying to, you know, get the attention of different agencies out there and stuff like that. I mean, that's it's literally straight from My Hero Academia, which is an anime. But <laughs> I think it, this is a pretty cool idea. It feels like it'd be like a battle royal type scenario also. So like something along, you know, the vein of that movie. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I think this sounds great. I mean, I love the boys and why not have a spinoff? All right, it's finally here. We're breaking down the finale of WandaVision. Spoiler alert. Spoilers for the season finale of WandaVision ahead. You have been warned. Roots. In a given space. Only the witch who cast them can use her magic. Thanks for the lesson. But I don't need you to tell me. Who I am. All right, man. So let's just jump right into it because we got a lot to talk about here. Uh, so the episode starts off with Agatha attempting to take Wanda's chaos magic, uh, but then she's interrupted by the Vision, the Vision in white that is, who tries to kill Wanda before Westview Vision intervenes. A pretty terrifying scene with a uh, White Vision trying to crush. Wanda's yes. head. <laughs> he says something like, and I'm paraphrasing, they said you were powerful or something like that. And he's totally not impressed. So um, I was like, oh my God, is that her skull? Like, you know, fracturing that we're hearing? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she can heal herself. Uh, but yeah, so then we get this huge battle between both visions uh, throughout Westview. I thought that was well done. You know, I mean, it's very typical of like your average like superhero uh, fight. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I loved all the phasing that they were doing, you know, between the two. I thought that was really cool. Um, I don't know what 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 do you say, Christian? No, I mean it. It didn't like do anything to like excite me. Like I, I expected them to just be punching and phasing through each other. They didn't do anything that was too crazy. Nothing that was like, you know, these are two extremely powerful beings. You know, I almost expected like Superman versus Zod levels of damage happening between these two while they were in bus. I think I would think that like Vision Prime or whatever the hell we're calling him, Wanda's Vision, I guess, uh, would be trying to avoid that at all costs. Uh -huh. So I, I was fine with that. Um, you know, I thought it was cinematic though. You know, I thought it was akin to what we would get in like one of like the feature films. I did enjoy like his like face foo fighting style, Christian. Oh yeah, face foo. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sure what else would you call that? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't call it anything. Phase foo, man. That's what, come on. That was awesome. <laughs> That's a thing. Whatever. <laughs> what else happened in this episode, David? <laughs> so then we head back to downtown Westview. Agatha and Wanda are still battling. Uh, 
Agatha uh, reveals that uh, Wanda has a whole chapter devoted to her in the Darkhold. So the book that we saw in her basement in last episode was actually the Darkhold, which means the MCU is in a whole lot of fucking trouble uh, for Phase 4. Mm-hmm. Um, she mentions that, you know, the prophecy that, you know, the Scarlet Witch isn't born, she's forged, and that, you know, she's meant to destroy the whole world. So when it comes to prophecies, that's pretty fucking frightening, <laughs> especially for Wanda to hear. Uh, she's in absolute denial. Agatha then frees all the residents of Westview uh, from Wanda's control, uh, which was totally haunting and reminded everyone, hey, Wanda's the fucking villain in this. <laughs> yes. Because everyone starts pleading with Wanda to, like, open the barrier. They're talking about how they've been literally, like, in pain and living Wanda's, like, nightmares, night and day. Um, One of them talks about, like, being separated from, like, her children. Um, Jesus Christ. And, like, another woman, like, pleads with Wanda not to let her husband come back to Westview. um, So he doesn't have to suffer through this with her. Um, so it just, it shows you, like, how much pain um, that these people have been, like, going through for, I don't even know how long of a time frame this is supposed to be taking place, like, during. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> what Wanda's doing is not fucking innocent at all. Um, so I'm glad that we had this, like, you know, scene in here to kind of hit that home. Uh, but, yeah, um, a pretty fucking, like, haunting scene. No, Exactly traumatizing (laughs) yes to say the least they are able to convince wanda to lower the barrier though um and she stops when she notices vision and the twins start disintegrating which was also which is what i brought up last week yes (laughs) which was also terrifying so Ah, uh, yes. Um, but at the same time, while this is going on, Hayward and Sword take this opportunity to, you know, sneak in um, and, you know, eventually confront Wanda and Vision. Uh, and while this is also happening, Monica is freeing our, our Fietro, who uh, we find out is actually Ralph Boner. Boner. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to say right here, like, I love this episode, but this was the one thing that, like, I rubbed up against. The fact that they went ahead, got everyone's expectations to, like, an all-time high with the casting of, like, Evan Peters and everything and what Uh it could mean for the multiverse, all for a fucking boner joke. Yep, they got us. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Fuck them, though. Um, it really reminded me of what they did with the Mandarin, you know, where, you know, it was all kind of bullshit. Now they're going to bring <laughs> the Mandarin actually, uh-huh. like the real Mandarin into Shang-Chi. Like he's the villain of, you know, mm-hmm. of that film. So, and they've kind of hinted that that was all bullshit. At least they retconned that they might all have been bullshit the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. But man, I remember watching Iron Man 3 and being like, what <laughs> the fuck? They did all that, like, you know, groundwork and build up for, you know, this, like, major, like, comic book villain. And then we get Ben Kingsley acting like Dudley Moore in Arthur. Like, that's that's the version uh-huh. of the character that we got. Um, I, I I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm still holding out hope, even though it's, you know, idiotic at this point that, you know, it's not what it seems here that Ralph 
boner is actually, you know, a version of the Quicksilver. <laughs> um, you know, maybe not the X-Men's version, but, you know, another version from the multiverse. And we'll find that out in, you know, other films. But I don't know, man, because it just <laughs> why wouldn't you want Evan Peters to be a big part of the MCU? You know, that's that's my thing. He's such a great actor. You know, and he does yeah. such a great job with that role. So if you could mm-hmm. eventually bring him on board, you know, or even as another character, why wouldn't you? You know, so but that's my piece on it. It didn't affect my overall like feelings on the entire series, but it was a little disappointing because I don't like once again, I don't I don't care that all our speculations and all our theories didn't pan out. You know, mm-hmm. like some people that it really upsets them when their theories end up not being true. And I think that's absolutely fucking ridiculous because if I could just, you know, predict everything that's going to happen in a movie or a film, what the fuck is the point of seeing the movie in the film then? You know, I no, want to exactly. be that surprised. That brings sounds a great immediately. Yes. So I want to be surprised. <laughs> but, mm. you know, this is one of those things where it felt a little too, like, almost trolly on Marvel's parts. <laughs> like, now you're just rubbing it in, guys. So, I mean, every every good mystery has red herrings, and that's what they did here, which I'm totally fine with. This is just the one thing that kind of, you know, sticks in my crawl, if you will. Well, actually, one of the things that did bother me about this episode was that whole moment where he shows off that he can use the speed. I mean, we do find out that it's Agatha giving him that ability to, but he then doesn't use it to stop Monica from stopping, like, from taking the necklace off him. Like, she's able to just overcome him so easily in that moment, and it bothered me that it was it was such a short-lived, like, fight right there. Yeah, I felt like they were kind of, like, crunched for time or something. And uh-huh. speaking of that, uh, there was actually, I guess, a, a scene that they filmed, but they ended up not using, um, where we got a little more Ralph Boner. Uh, Monica teams up with him, and uh, the twins, actually, they go to the basement of the house to retrieve the Darkhold, where they're confronted by Mr. Scratch, who, like, turns into this, like, giant demonic entity. Um, it seems like it was just supposed to be, like, just some kind of demon creature, though, not, like, Mephisto or, you know, mm-hmm. anything else. Uh, so, I mean... They, they fight him off, and then they retrieve the dark hole. Now, what the hell they were gonna do with the dark hole? I don't exactly. know, but it was something that they did shoot. So it feels like there was probably more to that scene than what we actually saw, like in the mm. final product. But it is what it is. You're right, because she is able to just you know yank that necklace right off of him without him even thinking. But he does come off as a complete dumbass also, so I will point that out. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I, I was disappointed that it wasn't Quicksilver, but at the same time I was like, okay, this is just this is just their explanation for it for now. Well, hopefully like you were saying, hopefully yeah. it becomes something later, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I really we'll do. see. I feel like they just want to wash their hands of anything previous X-Men and just start new. Yeah, that's kind of what I imagine that they're doing. I would think I, I but I feel like you could just I don't know. It's a way to have Quicksilver back in this universe without, you know, mm-hmm. having the original. And I understand what they're trying to go for. I mean, it's a huge trope in sitcoms to, you know, have recastings of, like, main characters happen all the time. They also probably didn't want Wanda to have to, like, if they got the original actor back, they probably didn't want Wanda to have to go through the death of Quicksilver also at the end of the episode. Because mm-hmm. that, I mean, Jesus Christ, she's gone through enough. Um, and I just feel like that's too many, like, you know, loose ends to tie up there. So I, I get what they were going for, but I don't know. I, I guess it just didn't work for me in the long run. 
Monica ends up moving on. She ends up assisting the children against Sword, uh, saving them as Hayward just fucking starts, like, opening fire on yes. two, like, eight-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, what a fucking bastard. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was bad before, but he just took his gun out and started charging I know. At I was like, okay. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> they're really trying to, like, you know, like, hammer home that this guy is a complete fucking douchebag. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah. Yeah, no, it, you know, she ends up, you know, saving them. The kids, you know, use their fucking powers up taking out these agents, you know, even though they don't have any real training whatsoever, but whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's comics. I'm cool with it. Um, <laughs> and as Hayward is about to like make his getaway, Darcy shows up and totally T-bones him, um, you know, knocking him unconscious. So, um, pretty cool scene and everything. We didn't get a lot of Darcy in this episode or Jimmy Woo. I thought that was a little disappointing. Uh, you know, and Darcy's not even at the end of the episode. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, she doesn't, she didn't stick around. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Like, we didn't get real, like, any closure. But I guess we'll see her in hmm. Ragnarok, right? Um, we did have a great moment with uh, Jimmy Woo early on before Sword actually came in and, you know, he escapes from them and yeah. gets to call his FBI buddies. That was, I love the little flourish moment yes. he had there. Yeah. That, calling back to episode that two. That was cool. That was cool. I, mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm guessing we're probably seeing Jimmy in the Ant-Man sequel also. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it's fine. I just, I just wanted a little more closure with them. I did enjoy those mm-hmm. characters a lot. Actually more than I enjoyed them in the, their main films so the battle between the two visions moves to a library where wanda's version of vision is trying to like basically i don't know talk sense into the white vision um by making him see the error of you know his mission and you know make him like get in touch with who he actually is um he ends up unlocking uh the vision's memories so, which is, I guess, still somehow part of, like, the Synthoid's, like, you know, um, operating system. So, he's able to access it. It seems to almost overwhelm him, and the White Vision just, like, takes off. So, that's, and that's actually the last we see of the White Vision. You could say he's on a Vision quest. <laughs> but let's not say that christian uh <laughs> so we cut back to a giant witch battle happening in the sky it looks like agatha is absorbing all of wanda's power but she's pulled the rope-a-dope a classic rope-a-dope and she's gone ahead and uh, casted runes of her own on all the walls of the hex Wanda starts to absorb her powers back along with probably some of Agatha's and then she uh, starts to transform, you know, before our very eyes into the Scarlet Witch as she tells Agatha, you don't have to tell me who I am. Um, I'm paraphrasing, I think, but I mean, it's still a badass moment. Uh, We see her in full fucking Scarlet Witch like um, garb, um, you know, wearing the crown and everything. Um, it's a pretty awesome costume. They did a really yes. good job with it. Um, you know, then uh, Agatha pleads with her, um, tells her, you don't know what you've done. Uh, you're going to need me. Uh, Wanda says, well, then I know where to find you. And she basically imprisons her in Westview as the nosy neighbor. And we see her transform back to Agnes before our very eyes. So, um, feels like they've left that wide open. I'm I'm sure we're going to see Agatha again in the MCU. I'm sure, you know, with the coming events that we know that's happening in, like, Phase 4, uh, Wanda's definitely going to need her, you know, her guidance 
um, when it comes to the Darkhold. Wanda and Vision know it's time now to say goodbye. Um, Wanda has to collapse the barrier um, and let everyone free. Um, they take the kids home. Uh, we get this just absolutely fucking heart-wrenching scene of them, you know, tucking the kids in at night for the very last time as, you know, mm. they close the door. Wanda thanks the kids for choosing her. Um, you know, they go downstairs. The Vision asks Wanda, what is he exactly? She says that, you know, you're the part of the Mind Stone that lives within me. Uh, but most of all, you're, you know, my hope, my sadness, and, you know, my love. Then they stare out the window as they watch this world that Wanda has created um, collapse around them. And Wanda's once again left all alone. Absolutely nope. just heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean... I mean, it, it it was a it's a great moment of closure for her, but at the same time, I mean, as a viewer, I was like, Jesus Christ, can this story get any more sad? Um, <laughs> I loved every second of it, though. Um, mm. So then we go ahead and we see Wanda in a very typical like MCU disguise, a black hoodie. Um, do the walk of shame through Westview as you know all the residents kind of stare at her um, she's confronted by Monica Monica uh, surprisingly gives her some like war words of encouragement basically like oh they don't know what you've been through um, you know Wanda is the one like well you know they've been through a whole lot of shit too right um, because once again Wanda's the villain in this story really yes um, uh huh you know, but then Monica just watches Wanda walk off into the, you know, sunset. Um, I, I don't know. This also kind of rubs me the wrong way. I mean, there's nothing Monica could really do to stop her. But I don't know. I just needed a scene maybe with like S.W.O.R.D. or, you know, whatever agents, you know, discussing, you know, capturing Wanda at this point. Like not like allowing this like insanely powerful reality warping being you know to be on the loose um because obviously she's very unstable <laughs> um, yes. so i mean just like one like throwaway line of like we need to arrest her well you you go to tr try to confront her or you know like hey you know she's above our pay grade or something like that something Right? Because there has to be consequences mm -hmm. for Wanda's actions. And I'm sure <laughs> that's all going to, like, play out in, you know, the films, I'm guessing. Because um, there's no way that the Avengers don't catch wind of everything that's happened here. So, um, you know, they can play off that, you know, it was only a couple days. Hey, we're trying to keep it underneath the wraps and everything like that. But this is going to get out, obviously. I mean, we know Nick Fury knows because in the mid-credits scene, Monica has a conversation with an agent who's actually a scroll um, and, you know, implies that Nick Fury wants to talk to her. So uh, it just feels like the first conversation Nick Fury is going to have with Monica is like, you fucking let her go? Like that, right? <laughs> um, someone had pointed out that there was a, a hexagon actually on one of his monitors when they showed him in his post-credit scenes. So maybe he had been monitoring the situation as well. My God, if they tied all that together, they went that deep. Uh -huh. That's pretty awesome. I, I wouldn't put it past them, honestly. <laughs> Um, so, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by it. So not only do we get a mid credit scene, but we actually get a post credit scene. Uh, finally, uh, we see Monica at some remote cabin out in the wilderness, sitting on her porch, you know, sipping coffee, 
Then we, you know, pan inside and we reveal uh, an astral projection of Wanda um, fucking around with the Darkhold, uh, which is yes. absolutely terrifying. And she's hearing the cries of her children. So, uh, yeah, shit's about to go down. Yes. Um, you know, I'm speculating that it could be someone from another like maybe it's her kids in another universe could be or it could be Cthone who we know you know all the magic from the dark hole you know comes from that elder god which we we're not going to get into it but we talked about it last episode um hmm. and it feels like the route that they're going to be going down here uh but maybe it's him like trying to manipulate her into like becoming you know engrossed in this you know book uh but I guess we're going to have to just wait to, like, the Multiverse of Madness to really, you know, find out. So, overall, this series was one of my favorite things the MCU has ever given us. And even though, like, half of our weekly theories didn't pan out, I thought the mystery and, like, you know, all the speculating made for an incredibly, like, entertaining ride. I mean, I love, at the end of the day, that this was really a personal story about Wanda and her struggle through all the different stages of grief. I love that Disney and Marvel now can give us like these limited series that really like help to flesh out their characters and serve as like this like launch pad for like bigger and more meaningful stories in the MCU. So I mean, bravo and like my hats off to like Kevin Foggy and you know Matt Shakeman. Um, Matt Shakeman also needs to get a lot more credit because I mean he directed every single one of these episodes. So, um, you know, and that's not typical for a series like this. So, I mean, he, he did a fantastic job. No, I absolutely agree. Shakeman does deserve a lot more credit for this. But yeah, um, now that we are past all the wild speculation of what this series uh, was going to be, like constantly questioning every little thing, you know, we can actually look at it for more of what it is. And I loved it for that. You know, um, I'm always looking for something out of the box, especially now after... 13 years with the MCU, and this delivered in a whole new way, uh, with a dark, heart-wrenching look into a hero in grief. It almost gave me, you know, what I felt for, you know, that Heroes in Crisis book that DC did. Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot Where about we that. got a darker, more complex look into a hero's, like, misfortune. Um, I think Elizabeth Olsen absolutely killed it in the role. I'm absolutely looking forward for more from her and the character of Scarlet Witch. I already missed the show and definitely need Falcon and Winter Soldier to start, at, like, fucking right now. Like, that was like, kind of like my reward for editing the show each week, <laughs> was I got to watch <laughs> WandaVision right now. I know, right? It made, it made the week worthwhile. <laughs> now, exactly. what's the point of being alive, Christian? <laughs> Well, we only have like a week more to, uh, you know, Falcon, so we'll get there. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> All right. Well, Damon, what grade would you give this? So show? I'm going to give this series an A, even though it was a little slow to get going like the first two episodes. Uh, once it did, I didn't want it to stop. So, yeah, I'm going to give it an A minus. I just think there's a couple rabbit holes there, like with, you know, Monica just letting Wanda leave. Yeah. Uh, just that just didn't stick very well with me. But um, yeah, no, I agree. And I, I I think for me, I'm I'm hoping that that gets kind of like ironed out in the other, you know, films and everything that we know we're getting. Mm. At least I'm assuming that might actually happening. But <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right, because there's a few like loose ends that they didn't necessarily tie up. That feels like a leap of logic. Like, you know, the Avengers not showing up. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
But I feel like because even in the in the comic books, when Wanda has her major breakdown and, you know, the whole disassembled, you know, Avengers storyline happens, uh, Wanda mm-hmm. goes into hiding. But once they discover where she is, they all fucking jump into the Quinjet and go to confront her. And it feels like they're willing to take her out because they know how powerful she is and what, you know, this could mean, you know, for the Marvel Universe. Um, you know, and this is all before House of M, you know, takes place. So um, they're they're absolutely terrified of her because, you know, I mean, no Avengers showed up. So it just it feels like Strange <laughs> is probably on his way to that cabin. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Someone pointed out, and I can't verify this, that you do hear Strange's like theme playing lightly in the background of that scene. So I don't oh. know if that's some like, you know, connective glue that they threw in there as a little Easter egg or if that's someone just, you know, having kind of Freudian hearing um, and, you know, hearing what they want to hear. So <laughs> Well, anyway, I absolutely loved everything that we got from the show. I love the beginning. I love those like single episodes where it's just a sitcom and then it turned into something completely different halfway through the show. I just think they did such a great job of like making something completely new in the MCU. Yeah, something we've never seen before. Um, you know, a, a part of me started thinking about like past scenes we've had with Wanda in them and just to think like how much more powerful than the other characters mm-hmm. she was. Like there's that moment where, uh, you know, uh, Steve Rogers saves them in the fucking train yard. It's like, oh, well, she could have just taken out both of them. No problem. Yeah. Well, and then you could make the <laughs> argument, too, though, that she might not even know how powerful she is at that point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get then mm-hmm. that scene of Sokovia where she's just fucking launching motherfuckers, you know. I mean, she, she quickly became one of the more powerful beings in the Marvel Universe. I mean, just the, the fact that, you know, Thanos was completely terrified of her in Endgame just shows you like how powerful she was you know she had the potential to get all right so well that does it for WandaVision uh make sure that you stay tuned in to the show because once the Falcon and Winter Soldier start up we're going to be doing weekly episode breakdowns of that series this is be- this is the rest of our life Damon I hope so <laughs> <laughs> Gives me something to live for, Christian. Exactly. (laughs) I'll be honest. (laughs) I mean, there's my kid and wife, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm just a Marvel zombie, Christian. Uh Uh-huh. Makes sense. All right, Christian, you're doing all the heavy lifting this week. You actually have two film reviews for us. Yeah, as per usual, I am doing all the work for this episode. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's a load of bullshit, Christian. Don't laugh too hard, David. Carry on. (laughs) I deserve an episode off. Well, first up, I have a review for the animated film Lava. Spoiler alert. Spoilers for the films Lava and Rare and The Last Dragon Ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. What does the news say? Inclusion. Welcome to the survival manual created by Lava. Understand this. Our screens now belong to them. Everybody together. Let's stick together. Or both of you together? Or how about all of us together? Wouldn't that be fun? Deborah, a lonely and disenfranchised tattoo artist, endeavors to save herself and her town from an alien invasion. This film is directed by A.R. Blasco and stars Janine Garofalo. 
I was given the opportunity to watch the English dubbed re-release of the Spanish animated film Lava, where we're faced with an alien cat invasion that needs tattoo artists to tattoo a giant snake that gets filmed and broadcasted to everyone's phones to hypnotize them. And yes, there's a whole bunch more hijinks. Lava in its own film touts that it's an adult animated comedy and because it is can talk about more mature things, but unfortunately I was often left not laughing at what seemed like fairly immature jokes. Nothing really seemed to land with me, and I'm not sure if it was because of issues with translation, distractingly bad audio and wooden performances, or if these were just not good jokes. On top of that, a lot of the jokes were kind of dated references to pop culture. For the most part, I felt like I was getting what the film was trying to say about you know our addictions to media and parts about society, yada yada, but none of it landed and or resonated with me in any type of way. What I really can't attest to was how surprised I was with the audio quality for something that is, you know, a dub. You know, some sounded like they were, you know, recording in booths or at least had cleaned audio, while others sounded like they were recording off old cell phones and it did not feel like a design choice for humor effect at all. On top of all that, the you know animation is kind of all over the place. The style of motion was inconsistent in a way that didn't come off as if they were doing it on purpose, more or less perhaps a budgetary constraint. Like one moment you'll see, you know, our main character is kind of just moving super fluidly and everything, and then the next it's you know, it's super choppy or they'll just speed them off camera and stuff like that. And it didn't go along with, you know, what they were saying. It didn't go along to make punchlines or anything like that. It just was happening. Um, and I, I, I couldn't tell based off the, you know, just inconsistent nature of it. Uh, but I mean, even at the end of the day, as someone who has grown up watching all matters of animation, especially in the adult comedy realm, um, you can often see things being wonky and it, you know, it adds to the comedic side of the show. But, you know, that just never felt like the case here. It felt like it was just happening just to happen. You know, um, I just, no, nothing ever felt consistent. And that's just kind of the overall theme for Lava for me. Well, Christian, that just sounds awful. What would you give this film? Yeah, man, for my grade, unfortunately, I feel like I, I have to give this an F plus as just... The story didn't do anything for me, the humor wasn't there, the animation wasn't there in, in any type of way that made sense to what it was, and everything just on on a base level just felt inconsistent. Um, you know, I, there wasn't there wasn't anything that added to the the comedy side that really made sense for this film. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't I just don't know if it was a problem with translation at the end of the day If it just doesn't translate to the English dub properly um, Because I mean just those jokes in general just did not land for me uh, I do suggest if you are interested in checking out lava, you know Make sure you check it out in its original form as it was originally intended I don't think I can suggest, you know anyone checking out this English dubbed version of the film this episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Podcorn. Christian, we know life as a podcaster isn't easy. Monetizing your small independent podcast can lead to nothing but heartbreak and frustration. We didn't even know the first place to start and how to approach these companies. But then we found Podcorn 
a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Damn it, with Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do. And Christian, I love their mission statement. To give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. Click the link in our show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Podcorn, connecting unique voices to unique brands. Well, that wasn't the only movie I watched this week. I also watched Raya and the Last Dragon. Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. Our lands have been at war for as long as we can remember. Our people never see eye to eye. My daughter, I believe our people can come together again, but someone has to take the first step. Now, in order to restore peace, we must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. Let's go. In a realm known as Kumandra, a reimagined Earth inhabited by an ancient civilization, a warrior named Rhea is determined to find the last dragon. This film is directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada, and it stars Kelly Marie Tran and Aquafina. To start, I had to consistently remind myself that this isn't Disney Pixar, it's Disney Animation Studio, and I say that in the most positive of ways, as this film met both what I view are the standards for a Pixar film, and that's technical prowess and a story with depth. We follow Rhea on a journey to not just find the last dragon, but to save her world after it is fractured by the cracking of a magical crystal orb that contained the last of the dragon magic inside it. Mankind fighting over who possesses the crystal ultimately unleash an evil virus-like monster when breaking the crystal. And instead of uniting to stop this monster, each nation steals a piece of the crystal. The monster itself begins multiplying and turning people into stone in horrific fashion, even turning Rhea's own father to stone. Six years after this event, Rhea, as played by Kelly Marie Tran, um, discovers the location of the last dragon Sisu, as played by Aquafina. Um, the two embark in uniting the pieces of the crystal in order to defeat the evil monster and bring everyone back from their statue form. Sisu, having been like asleep for 500 years, knows nothing of the dissension between the separate nations, and while attempting to rebuild the crystal, also attempts to rebuild Rhea's trust in the world. Ultimately, we get a journey that teaches our main character and the audience about unity and trust. I can honestly say, at first, I felt like the movie was being a little too cutesy in its approach. The story felt a little too simplified at first, but then I started to notice the consequences of this world's loss of trust beginning to build, and the depth of what I was watching really sank in and resonated with me by the end. And, you know, that final act of the film almost felt like it took a page out of Filoni's Clone Wars with just how intense the action became. On a technical side, the lighting and colors along with the camera motion shots that were chosen felt so smooth and beautiful throughout. And again, by the final act, I was in awe of its animation. 
Um, I was truly taken aback by how stunning the final fight was, where I had, you know, complaints in Pixar's soul for its kind of uninspired soul world palette. This film took color and just fucking ran with it. You know, each nation feeling so distinct and well designed, you know, just felt really well thought out. I honestly think the only like real complaint I had for this film was just how ridiculous this con baby that's featured in it was. Um, even for an animated film about a talking dragon with magical powers, I couldn't take the ninja heist baby seriously. <laughs> but that's just nitpick. Well, what would you give this film? So with all fairness and all honesty, at this point, you know, my my grade for this movie is an A. Um, I had zero problem with it. It really surpassed my expectations for it. I didn't think I was going to be this impressed with its um, presentation, and it really just blew me out of the water by the end of the film. So yeah, I definitely say watch this movie if you can. It's on Disney Plus right now. Definitely check it out. Either watch it now for the $29 or wait for that subscription version of it to come out as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. This week, we're taking a break from some gaming news, as this past week on stream, I finished the complete edition of Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and I just wanted to give a quick review for it. When the game originally came out, I was in the height of my Scott Pilgrim phase in high school, and so this game was a no-brainer. However, I mostly played it with friends, so I never actually finished the main campaign mode. And since this game re-released with a complete edition, I decided to go back and beat it. After facing off with Ramona's seven evil exes, I can honestly say I had a good time with the game. Learning how snacks and items work and having to learn each stage was a decent experience. Not knowing how to survive a long level with a hard boss at the end made for some hair-ripping frustration at times, but it just meant grinding and unlocking new combos and finding new ways to defeat enemies. The final boss is a bit ridiculous though, and without items, you're pretty much screwed. But the satisfaction of KOing Gideon after several failed attempts was, oh, so very satisfying. Uh, the gameplay is that, you know, it is satisfying um, with new and interesting ways to play with each character you choose from start. And of course, it is chock full of Easter eggs and references to the books and movie. All in all, I think you'll have a great time with Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, um, the game. And for its price around $30, I say you're at least getting that much worth in your game. So my final grade for it, I'm going to give it a solid B. I think it was a really good time. Probably not going to be the most memorable experience I've ever had, but it definitely hit that nostalgia button for me. Make sure you're checking out the actual streams that we do every single weekend as I am still playing more and more games. This weekend, I'm going to continue on with The Witcher 3. We're going to be playing it Saturday and Sunday, uh, getting in some hours. I'm really enjoying the game again. I've gotten back into it. I'm super fucking enthralled into the story. Um, next weekend, we will be starting a couple new games. I'm still debating on what they are fully, um, but I'm still leaning on uh, GTA San Andreas and then also maybe Batman the Tell series as we are approaching summer there's going to be some new games coming out and i will be picking those up as well to play so you know stay tuned make sure that you're following us on twitch also make sure that you follow me on twitter at amazing nerd live to catch all the updates for the streams definitely check us out there as well otherwise you can check us out at amazing nerd show on twitter now let's move on to wrestling 
Impact, impact paid for the bomb. Definitely. That makes perfect Without sense. Let me ask you a question. When that bomb came in the mail, did it come in a box with big, bold letters that said Acme on it? I've made more explosive volcanoes in fourth grade science class. What the hell was that? Look, I had an explosive barbed wire death match live on pay-per-view, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. All right, so this past weekend, we had AEW's Revolution. And some would argue maybe AEW's first black eye. But let's not harp on the negative and let's jump into the show. All right. I don't think either of us saw the pre-show match, but no. it was Britt Baker and Maki Ito defeating Rio and Thunder Rosa. I mean, I guess the biggest moment was that Maki Ito was here stateside. Um, yes. That was a big surprise. Uh, she's got lots of personality, as we saw on Dynamite. Uh, I just hope she can work, because I was less than impressed with her strikes. Um, but Charisma, she's got enough for, you know, the entire women's division. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, But from what I heard, this was a great match. Uh, but like you said, we didn't see it. So uh, what do we have next, Christian? Well, a match that we did see was the Young Bucks defeating Chris Jericho and MJF to hold on to their tag team championships. I really liked the layout for this match. Um, I thought it was pretty well done. I liked that it was more of a brawl, that the Young Bucks had to kind of get outside of their style, and that it ended up being the catalyst for, you know, what we got from the Inner Circle on, you know, Wednesday night show. Um, for me, I you know, when I usually get out of a Young Bucks match, you know, it usually gets somewhere. The tempo just gets crazy and wild. I don't feel like I really got that in this match that much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it was good. You know, th these are all great performers, but I just felt like they never hit that like fifth gear in this match. And I just that's what I took away from it. Yeah, but I don't think it was designed for that. This was more of a grudge match than anything. You know, with everything that they did with like Papa Buck and everything, it was going to be more of a fist fight. But I, I see what you're saying. Um, and I think part of that is like that's not really Jericho and MJF style. True. So, um, but yeah, no, uh, you know, we saw Jericho take the loss here. Um, and then like uh, later on in the night, we found out that they were going to have a war council, uh, on dynamite. And it definitely felt like something was brewing between Jericho and MJF. So then we got to Dynamite, and sure enough, uh, we see uh, MGF uh, try to lead the inner circle against Jericho. Sammy Guevara returns. He shows footage of, you know, the rest of the team conspiring against Jericho. Uh, it, you know, then cuts to MGF and the inner circle starting to crowd around Jericho. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jericho gives a wink and the inner circle turns and, you know, corners MJF. But it doesn't end there because the lights go off. And once they come back on, we've got uh, FTR, Warlow, uh, Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard all standing behind the inner circle. And then all hell breaks loose. Uh, MGF you know, goes, sits down on the top turnbuckle as he's just watching, you know, the inner circle get decimated. I mean, we've got Santana Ortiz getting handcuffed and spike pile drived. Uh, at one point, someone gets a beer bottle broken over their head. Sammy eats a fucking chair. Jericho gets hit by a baseball bat and busted open. And then he gets power bombed off the stage. Um, and that's how the show ended. 
So it looks like MGF, you know, this was his master plan all along, and he's put together, like, this insanely talented stable. Very horseman-like. Yes. Uh, but that sounds crazy. That makes for great TV, I tell you that. Yes, I, I'm all for faction warfare. You know, I'm always <laughs> a huge fan of stables, so I'm excited to see where this all leads. All right, well, up next we had the Casino Tag Team Royale, with Ray Phoenix being the last man standing for Team Death Triangle. So the first thing that stood out to me was the amount of fucking tag teams AEW has. (laughs) Because this was somehow not all of them. And there was like, what, like 12 teams? Yes, uh, a total of 15 entrants. But I mean, if you take away Dark Order's three entrants, it would be only like 12 teams. But those are all pretty much legitimate teams, though. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got to count. Um, You know, I guess besides 5 and 10, but still, I mean, they've tagged on Dark a lot, so... Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just insanity. They really need that, like, you know, two other shows that are are being planned. I know we got Elevation debuting this week on Monday, and then that other hour-long show is supposed to be happening sometime soon, and that'll actually be featured on TNT. So, I mean, they're in desperate need of that, just to get everyone some time in the ring, you know, and to Mm -hmm. flesh out some of these characters. I mean, it's great. I mean, they're all super talented, and it showed here. I thought this was a fantastic match. I mean, it was Royal Rumble style. It did stall a little bit here and there. I felt like they could have, like, they had the clock on the screen, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that kind of hurt the match at times, because those segments in the Royal Rumble... They're not really like two, three minutes long. No. Yeah. It's like how, it's whatever they decide. You know, they they kind of pace the match the way they want it. Um, where here it was like a legit like three minutes, I believe, in between each entrance. And it just at points it kind of dragged. It was still pretty well done, though. Like I never felt like it was a clusterfuck or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought the last two, like the right last two people were, you know, in the ring at the end. Two of your biggest, like, younger stars, like, facing off. I mean, it really, like, I thought either guy could win. And I actually want to see a match between these two later on down the oh, line. Oh, absolutely. I could watch Ray Phoenix and Jungle Boy go at it forever, uh, to be honest. But um, I thought the match was really well-paced. I actually, you know, I, I don't know what. I, I enjoyed seeing the clock go down. I, I actually thought that was a great element to me. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't catch... Too many lulls while I was watching. I but think maybe that's just because I was looking at the time. I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm good with this. Just the ten seconds popping up. Like I don't need the entire clock, you know, counting down. Because there were times where I was like, "Oh, hey, when's the next scene?" Because there were so many fucking teams. Uh-huh. <laughs> this was almost a half hour long, which is fine. But and I love that it was just like straight Royal Rumble stuff. Like they didn't even beat around the bush, you know. <laughs> They're like, yeah, this no is more basically fucking, a rumble, like five people in one group type shit. I, yeah, or everyone like starting on the outside of the ring, yeah, and fighting to get on the inside. I mean, all that shit always feels very like TNA to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like they had tons of weird gimmick matches back in the day. So I'm glad this was really like cut and dry. But yeah, it looks like we'll be seeing Ray Phoenix and Pac go up against the Young Bucks. Did that happen this week or was that going to happen? No, no, I think that's going to be in the next couple of weeks. Uh, uh, To open up this week's Dynamite, we had Ray Phoenix uh, versus Matt Jackson in a really good opening match uh, that saw Phoenix pick up the win. Okay, awesome. Well, up next, we had Sheeta defeating Mizunami for the Women's World Championship. Uh, Mizunami had won the tournament 
leading up to this uh, pay-per-view. So this really didn't do much for me. I'll be honest. I mean, I can tell Mizuyami is like talented, but I just felt like this match was about three minutes too long. I think it was because of all the false finishes that happened in the end. I feel like this happened with another Sheeta match where there was like two or three, like too many like false finishes at the end um, where it almost felt like, you know, they hit their high point and they needed to go home and then they just kind of dragged it out <laughs> a little longer, a little too long. Hmm. Um, some of like Miziami's like antics, I don't feel like necessarily translate well for like a Western audience. Like, I don't know what the fuck that mime thing is yeah <laughs> that she does um and i wish it's like really i wish she would stop doing because it it's really like cringeworthy but she's done in every match i've seen of hers so far um and then her chops in the corner drive me fucking nuts so i mean when she starts doing all her throws and suplexes i think she's great but like just some of those like little spots you know i i would just cut mm-hmm. those no, I, I agree with you. I mean, they could have shaved off maybe three minutes or so from the match. I think, um, you know, seeing them in those serious spots, though, were great highlights for me. I thought Sheeta looked like a fucking beast at a certain point in this match where she would. Like, I was like, oh, man, I could imagine what a heel turn for Sheeta would look like after seeing this match. I just I thought that this was one of their better performances, at least um, for her title reign. They need to do more with Sheeta. You know, yeah. Even though, like, she's their champion, I feel like she's not focused on enough. Um, I would like to see her actually be more on the show and, like, working more matches and just more mm-hmm. just programs in general because we don't really know her that well. Even though she's had the belt for a long period of time, I think she's the longest reigning champion at this point, right? She is, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to say because it doesn't feel that way because there's, like, I feel like there's weeks that go by where we don't see her on camera at all um which is just absurd to me i know that they had like the nwa belt you know being represented on the show for a while and everything like that but at times like that felt more focused on than the aew belt um which feels backwards Mm -hmm. so i mean i don't don't get me wrong like i love thunder rosa i love that serena deep has that belt and everything but i just want Sheeta to be more in the mix i guess because she is ultra talented and everything. No, I absolutely agree. Like sometimes I just feel like it's almost the Britt Baker show half the time with, with what they produce. Yeah, and it, that's fine. But I feel like there's room for Britt Baker and Sheeta. Like you could yes. do two mm-hmm. like women segments. It, it'll be okay. <laughs> so I mean I don't know. Maybe ratings are dictating otherwise. But I know like the the real matches that they had recently did really well in the ratings. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the issue is. All right, up next, we had a tag team match with Miro and Kip Sabian defeating Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. So we finally got, like, a taste of who I want Miro to be in AEW. Like, this just fucking savage beast that's just uncontrollable. I love the way (laughs) that this all started off with, like, Miro jumping them backstage. You know, Chuck Taylor already busted open, you know, when the match starts. Um, it feels like there's possibly going to be like, you know, some dissension between Kip Sabian and Miro here because there's a point where, you know, um, Penelope gets knocked down and Miro clearly does not give a shit whatsoever. He yells at Kip to get back up here and tag him in and he just 
decimates, you know, Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. Yes. So um, I really thought this was going to be the end of the feud here between the two teams. But then on Dynamite, uh, we had uh, Chuck Taylor uh, challenging Miro and Sabian to another match, another tag match. And then if um, Miro's team wins, uh, Chuck will end up being uh, Miro's butler for life. So um, okay. <laughs> I'm guessing that's not going to happen that, mm-hmm. you know, there's going they're going to end up pulling out the wind somehow. Um, and then perhaps, you know, that's what's going to lead to Kip Sabian and, you know, Mero breaking up, you know, and then you just unleash this fucking beast. on like AEW. So because this is this is the perfect like that. That's the version everyone wants to see of Miro. Yes. You know, not um, this fucking streamer <laughs> gimmick. <laughs> oh, I'm totally forgetting. Uh, the gimmick of the match is there's going to be, like, arcade cabinets all around the fucking ring. Okay. Yeah, so there's just going to be fucking... <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to be smashing those things. And it makes sense because that's how the whole, you know, feud started. So with the best friends accidentally, like, breaking their, you know, uh, cabinet. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fine, I guess. But yeah, um, commentary said it best. I mean, you know, Miro you know, looks like he's in the best shape of his life. Looks like he's ready to take on someone like Kenny Omega or something down the road. So, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing him at least going after the TNT championship. Yes. Yes. Him and Darby. That'd be a great match. Yes. Um, up next, we had a big money match with big money Matt Hardy losing to Adam Page. Um, this match was just kind of there for me, honestly. Uh, I didn't really like the setup with the contract for this match. Like, that storyline didn't really do Mm -hmm. much for me. I like everything that's happening between Paige and the Dark Order, and that's what this really is all about. Um, you know, like you said, uh, Hardy ended up losing the match. Um, that actually leads to him on Wednesday hiring Butcher and the Blade, um, to join his squad. So he's muscling oh, okay. up even like further now. So he's got two tag teams. So I, I have a feeling there's, you know, private parties going to be, you know, on the outs with Hardy soon. Uh, but yeah, no, as a match, it just felt like more of a vehicle to like, you know, deepen the relationship between like Paige and, you know, the Dark Order. You know, you bringing up Butcher and the Blade actually reminded me, I forgot to mention, I thought Butcher looked really good in the, that tag match earlier on in the pay-per-view and to hear that they're continuing to do very little with that team is is a little disheartening i just feel they just have so many teams Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know uh they desperately need like that like six-man belt honestly you know like start doing like a little like you know trios and everything like that i think they'll give like these teams more airtime honestly Exactly. I think it would be great for AEW. I don't know why they don't have that, especially with so many factions popping up. But um, to get back to the Adam Page and Matt Hardy match, yeah, this was, I think, by far my least favorite match of the entire night. Um, and, you know, I, I love, you know, Adam Page and Matt Hardy, you know, their styles and everything. Just something didn't click right with this. I felt like the match could have been maybe five minutes shorter. Um, I don't know. It just it didn't do too much for me in general. I agree. I agree. And then up next, we had the Face of the Revolution ladder match um, featuring Scorpio Sky, Cody Rhodes, um, Pentel L Zero, um, Lance Archer, and Max Caster, and Ethan Page. Ethan Page making his debut here. Yes, he's one of the big surprises of the night. Um, 
And I wish there would have been a little more focus on him because he's a fantastic talent. Um, and I think, you know, he's super creative and I think the sky's the limit for him in AEW. Yeah. I mean, this was a fantastic ladder match in general. Um, I, that it didn't have too many spots, but I can't complain. I mean, there were a bunch of great talents in the ring and they were all really killing it with at what they were doing. I didn't really like the whole Cody having to go to the back. I, I never like the injury angle where someone has to leave and then they show up, especially when I could watch air Arn looking at the ring the entire time, waiting to cue Cody to run back in. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if they thought they were off camera. Do you I think they realized that everyone could see them in the tunnel? Cause that was a little know, strange. I, I feel like they're trying to like play with everyone's expectations there because how many times does that happen where someone gets injured and they make this like heroic comeback from, you know, mm-hmm. you know, from the locker room and they end up winning the match. So I feel like that's what they were trying to go for. Now we know Cody is legitimately injured. So I don't know if that was a way to give oh, him like a rest. Yeah, no, he actually has a shoulder injury. So not from this match, but he had it prior to even the Shaq match. So he Hmm. is working through something. So it might have been just a way to give him like, you know, an out. So he doesn't have to work the full like 23 minutes of the match. So but we did see him, you know, uh, wrestle on Dynamite. So I don't know how injured he really is at this point. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a good match. I thought everyone had an opportunity to really shine here. Um, and I'm glad that Scorpio Sky actually won. I just wish they would been like focusing and building him on like, you know, mm-hmm. dynamite more. He's got an insane fucking win record, but it all like took place on dark. Like my jaw dropped when I saw his win record. I was like, what the fuck? I thought he was injured actually for the last like, you know, three months or so. Cause I was like, you never see him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he showed up on commentary last week. You know, he was pretty fucking obnoxious on commentary. I'm not going to lie. Like, he needs to work on just, I don't know, his, like, his character a little more. I think they were trying to foreshadow him turning heel, but it just wasn't really working for me. But, like, as a talent, he's fucking great. So, and we saw he got his shot, you know, after, you know, grabbing the brass ring against uh, Darby on Dynamite. And they had just the best match of the night, honestly. Um... It, it ended up with Darby just squeaking like a victory, you know, out um, and Scorpio just losing his cool and attacking him. So we have a full like, you know, heel turn now for Scorpio. Oh, okay. They even like had him like they pointed out him walking down the hills tunnel at the end. So <laughs> I was like, are you even supposed to really like point that out that there is a uh-huh. heel and face tunnel? <laughs> He's walking to the bad guy locker room. Like, what? Just felt weird to me, okay. but whatever. <laughs> but all your clothes are in the good guy locker room. Yeah, yeah like, how are you going to get your clothes back? <laughs> They're good guys. They'll give them back to them, uh, though, right? <laughs> sure. Right. Fucking weird. Uh, um, speaking of weird? Speaking of... <laughs> It is fucking weird. Speaking of Darby Allen, we had the Darby Allen and Sting cinematic street fight match with Team Taz, uh, which was a great match in my eyes. Uh, I thought this was like one of the best cinematic matches I've seen so far. One like out of like all the things we've got, maybe maybe Undertaker's you know one with AJ Styles gets a little over it because I say it's fucking Undertaker and you get to do more fun stuff. No, there, I agree one hundred percent. But like overall, I thought we got like the best cinematography. For any of yes. the like cinematic matches in this. And I guess Darby was like behind the camera or, you know, help directing like 90% of this. 
Oh, okay. So, I mean, and we've seen him do all his, like, promos and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, he's got some talent, I-, I have to say. And, like, just the setup for the whole thing and everything, I- it felt very much like an 80s, like, action film, which I loved. You know, like, the final battle, um, you know, between the good guys and the villains. It just worked really well. There's some crazy-ass spots. Sting looked great. Um, yes. I don't know what else you could want from this. In my book, this really, like, over-delivered, honestly. Yes, I mean, like, even that spot where Darby gets thrown through the window, and then the window again crashes on oh, him, I, I thought that was just awesome. <laughs> I was like, that wasn't planned. <laughs> no, but that was awesome. That was a great moment. I'm glad they caught it from that angle, too. Mm-hmm. Because um, we could just see how brutal it really was. I, I mean, and everyone had their, like, you know, time to shine, too. Like, Brian Cage um, doing the standing suplex. And yes, walking up the stairs. Up the stairs. <laughs> that was great. Crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I'm curious to see where they go from here with Sting. He doesn't seem like he's attached with Darby anymore. He wasn't out there during Darby's match. Not that he works as like a manager or anything, you mm-hmm. know, um, escorting him down to the ring. But he was interviewed by Shivani um, during Dynamite. And he was interrupted by Lance Archer. So mm. it looks like they're about to go into a program. Um, so I don't know if that means another cinematic match. Because I, I, I hope so. Because I don't. Terrified I don't know how. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that matchup. <laughs> right. Um. Because they, I don't know. I, I mean, Archer's a great worker, mm-hmm. but he's he's a little snug. So. <laughs> I'm just someone might actually die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fucking Sting is what 62? Uh-huh. You know, so I don't know, man. <laughs> we'll see where that leads us. Then this, you know, the end of this match took us to the big reveal of the night. Who was the brand new signee, the big free agent that AEW um has brought into the fold and it was none other than Christian um Unfortunately, the hype just got way out of hand, I think, on this one. Um, AEW needs to do a better job of not, like, I don't know, over-promising things. It felt like they left it, like, way too open to interpretation, especially with Khan, like, doing, like, this, like, media tour, you know, before the show. Just, like, talking about how this is his favorite wrestler and everything like that. And, and part of this, you know, rests on fan shoulders, too. Because people got insane with this. Because, yes. honestly, like, we were talking about on last week's show. When, you know, the big show came out and, you know, gave his little spiel. Like, we were saying, oh, it's probably Christian. Like, that was one of our guesses, right? Yes, so, it was. <laughs> and we even joked about, oh, well, look, it's going to be John Cena or something like that. But it was a uh-huh. joke. Like, it was <laughs> <laughs> It's obviously not going to be John Cena. It's obviously was... not going to be The Rock. People were guessing The Fucking Rock for crying out loud. Oh, my God. I was like, <laughs> so, but like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's better to say nothing than anything to mm. under promise and over deliver, if that makes any sense, than to like set up people for disappointment. Because I think people just got their expectations. To, it's, it's actually quite like WandaVision. You know, and the I, was, whole, I was literally about to make a Mephisto yes, joke. The, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if Christian was Mephisto? Yes. <laughs> it all makes sense uh-huh, now. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it, I, I just, I think it would have 
serve them better to keep this as a surprise. Now, I'm super excited for Christian to be part of AEW. He's a fantastic worker. He's got a great mind for the business. I feel like they really need to even, like, harness that. Um, and I would love to see him work more directly with Tony Khan. Like, because he has p- the potential, like, from what everyone, you know, says with him. Like, you know, the way he sets up matches and everything to be, like, AEW is kind of like Pat Patterson if they wanted to. Um, you know, you know, put him in that role where he's working on matches and coming up with finishes mm. and shit like that. Like, and I feel like they need someone like that in the company. Um, I know they have other agents, but you know, from what everyone says with Christian and from what we've seen with him match quality wise, I mean, he's the fucking man. So, I mean, there's so many great matchups that we've never seen before that we're going to get out of the signing. I'm so just excited for him. The fact that he could fucking wrestle again after all these years. (laughs) I mean, this is a guy who was in like the top, like the final four at the rumble this past year. So, I mean, it is a big fucking deal, but when you leave it wide open like they did, you know, or like, you know, Khan kind of started promoting it. It just, it causes people to just get out of hand nowadays, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so it's just like surprise. There's okay. It's okay to have surprises. No, yeah. Um, I think you said it best though. I, I imagine he will be great for production in general. Like I'm already, I'm imagining that he would be someone great to help, especially with the younger talent as well. Yes. I, there's a, there's a lot of, things that he could possibly do with the company and i'm hopefully i'm hoping that it's going to be more than maybe a couple matches and then he's no no it's a long-term deal he does have a long-term deal i mean he's in his late 40s i think he's like 47 or something but Mm. he's in great shape uh and he hasn't like wrestled in like four or five years i think so it's like his body's been basically on ice So, so he hasn't had all that damage to his body you know over the last like five six years so, mm. I mean, he should be pretty fucking fresh, knock on wood. Um, so, and like I said, like, he's been known as, like, a Finnish guy. So, you know, something that Pat Patterson was known as. So I would love, I, I just, I really hope that they really, like, you know, tap into everything that he offers, you know, as a talent. All right, well, we've made it to the main event, Damon. We're here. Kenny Omega defeating John Moxley in an exploding barbed wire death match. Let me preface by saying I'm not a fan of these matches, not because of the violence, but I can never like suspend my disbelief enough to believe that explosions are actually going off in the ring during these matches. Uh You know, I've seen these matches between like Funk and like, you know, Cactus Jack, you know, uh, that I think there was like a a deathmatch tournament that took place in Japan. Um, and I, I don't know. I always have a hard time like getting into these matches. So I wasn't necessarily thrilled with this match from the get go, but overall the match itself, I thought was pretty well done. Like there was actually like good psychology there. They both busted their asses. There were some nice spots. Some of the little explosions were a little lackluster, like throughout the match. Um, one of them felt like it happened before. Before they even hit the ropes i don't know if yes. you saw that one right there's a couple of times where it's kind of like that but it's when the camera is actually in the right placement yeah and it's just smoke when they hit 
it looks great. Yes. But every time, like, and I gave them, you know, props for that while I was watching. I was like, okay, yeah, that's a great shot. Yeah. But then they catch it where they hit the ropes. There's no explosion for like two seconds. Yes. And then it goes off and you see the smoke somewhere else. And it's like, eh. <laughs> but that goes back to like what kind of, you know, concerned me about this match is just all the little production issues that uh-huh. AEW's had in the past just on their tv show with like you know transitions and you know different camera angles and missing shots so i was a little skittish when they announced this match and rightfully so um the match itself was fine um i wasn't a huge fan of the last like five minutes or so i didn't like all the interference that happened with the good brothers I can accept it, though, because if you have this kind of match and your heel has a faction, of course there's going to be some kind of interference. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, I also feel like Moxley would have some friends at this point uh, <laughs> to, like, at least, you know, get his back or help him out. So I, I just wasn't a fan of the match ending because of the interference, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I hear what you're saying, but remember... Cody Rhodes has an entire family that just lets him get his ass beat <laughs> at least once a month. I know, television. but I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> Ooh, also, I wanted to point out, I really did like the spot, the first spot with the one uh, winged angel on Moxley, where Moxley, like, triggers the explosion. To get out of it, I thought that was well done. I thought that was really creative, and I wasn't expecting that at all. And I thought the selling throughout the match was fantastic. Like, you know, Omega, um, you know, claiming that, you know, his eyes got burnt or whatever, and the ref having to grab a bottle. I thought the the suit the ref was in was a little much. I also feel like they should have, like, cleared out, like, the first, like, couple rows because, once again, I have a hard time suspending disbelief when, you know, oh, it's an exploded ring match, but you've got literally, like, people standing, like, five feet away from the ring. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just the audience. Like, okay, we're not worried about shrapnel or whatever, you know? So, I, the matches I've always seen in, like, Japan and stuff like that, the crowd is far back from the ring. So, just hmm. to sell, the you know, how dangerous the match is. So, but I get it. You want that crowd sound and everything. It's not a full stadium, whatever. Um, but like I said, the, the 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 outside interference was a bit much for me. I hated that's how it ended. And then the fact that there was like three minutes after the match was over before the ring exploded or was supposed to explode. <laughs> mm-hmm. I understand you need some time. You know, in between to build up drama and, you know, to have everything that happened, happened. But three minutes just felt a little too long. And then, like, the ring just has to explode. Like, no one could stop the ring from exploding. <laughs> like, it just felt it, a little odd to me. Right? <laughs> it's pre-rigged. No one can stop it. That's what they kept shouting like, while there's a three-minute timer still. Well, that but, seems um... irresponsible. <laughs> 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 Who made that decision? Um uh... So, but anyway, let's get into it. So Moxley is down and out. Omega hits a fucking brutal one-winged angel onto the fucking set of chairs. I thought looked fantastic. Um, but yeah, Moxley's done for. He's laying in the middle of the ring. Uh, they beat on him a little more. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Kingston and his group come out. Kingston's literally fighting Butcher and the Blade to come to the ring to get Moxley. I don't know if you noticed that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he gets to the ring. He tries to drag Moxley out. He can't do it. Mo- is Moxley handcuffed? Moxley's handcuffed at this yes, point, Yes, right? Moxley's also handcuffed. Yes. So, which was like, they could have, I guess they didn't want to handcuff him to the ropes, but I don't know. Um, so, because like Moxley could still just get up with the handcuffs on. I don't know, whatever. Um, so, but then Eddie lays on him, drapes his body over his to protect him from the explosion. And then we get the countdown clock. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Sparklers. Yep. Fireworks I can get at Target. Fucking <laughs> sparklers. <laughs> we get a couple little explosions around the ring. You know, I mean, not even as loud as the ones, you know, of the guys, like when the guys hit the ropes. Though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something happened, you know, whatever they had set up was a complete dud. It didn't get triggered. Poor Eddie is in the ring and he's like having to sell what has happened, you know, or what hasn't happened. Um, Like he's completely dead. No one, for some reason, has gotten word to him that the explosions had to go off because I can't completely blame him because his eyes are closed. So he doesn't know exactly what has happened or what hasn't happened. Um, so I just wish whoever comes out, like the doctors or someone, or like the referee would like have said, Kingston, stop playing dead here. You know, it didn't go off. Uh-huh. Um, cause he could, I think he could have salvaged the moment there, you know? Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, just super disappointing <laughs> and just left everyone with such a bad taste in their mouth. Moxley made the best out of the situation once the cameras were like, or, you know, once the pay-per-view went off the air, the cameras were still rolling, but, you know, he made a joke about like, you know, Kenny Omega being a hell of a wrestler, but, you know, really shitty at making bombs, Um, you know, just making light of the situation and everything. Uh, But yeah, just, I mean, like I said, I think one of like the first like major black eyes you know, AEW has really taken, you know, since it's like young, you know, lifespan mm-hmm. here. So um, I, it is what it is. It's not a deal breaker. You know, it's not the end of the world. We've seen WWE flub plenty of fucking matches. You know, I'm thinking back to like the Hell in a Cell match just from like a year or so ago where they actually had like a, a, a disqualification, right? In the middle yes. of Hell in a Cell. Uh, yeah. WCW had one of the worst matches I've ever seen. Uh, it was something, God damn it. It was something where they had to strap <laughs> one of the other team's uh, men to an electric chair. And there was like, okay. everyone was fighting to get to this giant switch, right? In the corner of the cage. Well, Cactus Jack McFoley at the time climbed mm. up. And when he got up there, the switch went down on its own accidentally like it was oh. like knocked loose <laughs> but the chair obviously w- wasn't triggered um because uh-huh. it's not really a switch so then on camera because it was fucking wcw foley has to lift the switch up again and then bring it down <laughs> to trigger the uh the electrical current jesus yes where abdullah the butcher gets electrocuted in the middle of the ring um, so, I mean, there's been plenty of flubbed matches like this mm-hmm. in the past. ECW's actually had two death matches like this, um, be complete, absolute flops, um, uh, you know, in their heyday at the height of their popularity. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world. They'll recover, they'll move on. 
Um, they made it part of the storyline on Dynamite this Wednesday. Uh, Kingston and Moxley both po- poked fun at it. Um, Kingston explained him being out cold by saying that he had like a panic attack in the ring, um, which was fine. Um, you know, and I thought the promo between the two guys, they, they both they both have great chemistry together. So mm-hmm. they made it work. And then um, Callis and Omega on Dynamite had a great segment where, you know, they basically kind of owned up to it that, you know, they played it off by implying that they might've rigged it that way just to make sure that the AEW fans didn't get what they wanted. So I was fine with it. And then they went on and they used it to make fun of fucking Kingston, which was a great Uh segment and everything. And (laughs) fucking Kingston is going to be a huge baby face. Um, But anyway, uh, overall it is what it is. I mean, it definitely fucking sucked though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean yeah i i feel like till we got to those last five minutes of the match i was having a better time with this than i did with their unsanctioned match originally i agree their, their previous one so i mean i can give them that credit at least but yes the, i i was laughing my ass off as soon as the sparklers went oh out. my god um, and, but see <laughs> i question their judgment you know yeah the bomb didn't go <laughs> off but the fact that they had those like sparklers in the corner like uh-huh. why would you make that choice Because that did go off right, and that looked awful. So that's just a judgment call right there. Mm -hmm. Like, why wouldn't you go with the flames, like, you know, the cane flames in the corners? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would have liked to seen them actually, like, collapse the ring after the explosion. I was just about to say that. I was like, we both talked about this off mic, where it's just like, it should have looked, it would have looked so much better. They just did those classic, the ring just falls or something. Everyone pops for that spot. Exactly. And I haven't seen a deathmatch do that yet. And it feels like a no brainer. Like, just have, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's semantics. Maybe it's hard with, like, you know, the explosions around the ring. But, like, once a big explosion goes off, have the ring start to fucking burn, you know, and have some fucking, you know, have the ring collapse and have to, you know, you have to drag Moxley out of there, you know, before it starts on fire. They could rig that. You just go fucking completely like Universal Studios, Orlando Parks with it. You know, like one of those stage shows. You know, uh-huh. I, I was actually surprised that they didn't have this take place on the field. You know, they had the big football field. I guess they mm-hmm. wanted the crowd there. But like, I feel like this could have been more of like a cinematic style type deal where you have the, you know, the, the ring set up on that football field. Because I did feel like visually it looked a little lackluster. Like I've seen better looking like death matches mm-hmm. um, where it's just like, this felt like just a couple boards set up with barbed wire and you know, the ropes, you know, wrapped around, you know, with barbed wire on it. So um, production wise, I'd like to see them do a little more. Do you think that we would ever, you know, redo this, make another match like this? Like as a way to like, you know, give back to fans, like, you know, like a, a redo a makeup for fans who, you know, they didn't get what they uh-huh. wanted. <laughs> um, maybe, especially since this was like their highest buy rate. So you have mm-hmm. a lot of disappointed fans who probably tuned in for this match. So I wouldn't like, I wouldn't advertise it and I would film it beforehand just to make sure that everything goes off seamlessly. Um, and that way you're kind of like washing the bad taste out of everyone's mouth. You know, you could have this, like, match, like, just, you know, happen on Dynamite. Like, have Moxley say, I've got a surprise for you. We're going to have a death match the right way now. And then do it, like, totally cinematic. Have it set up on the football field. 
you know, make sure you've got, you know, multiple explosions. So if like one thing doesn't go off, the other thing goes off. <laughs> so like, I don't know how semantically that works, but I, it just feels like if you would have like a backup plan for that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but I guess some type of fail safe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I guess you live and you learn, though, right? Um, <laughs> if they use the football field, I want an explosive on every five yard mark. Yeah, how awesome would that be, though? <laughs> they could go really big, you know? Uh-huh. So I really thought this match was going to lead to, like, a sabbatical for Moxley since, you know, Renee's pregnant and everything. So I thought this was kind of, like, their way to set up, like, time off for John. Mm-hmm. But he was on Dynamite again, and it seems like he's starting a feud uh, with the Good Brothers, and you know, with Kingston as his partner. Because they got into it on Dynamite after, you know... Um, Kenny and Callis were making fun of uh, Eddie in the middle of the ring and everything. It was a really good segment. I, I really enjoyed that moment because Callis goes into like uh, Kingston's impact run and why he had to fire him and everything like that. Like it was a really good, like dramatic moment and everything. I um, mean, you could see Kingston just about to like explode. Uh, uh-huh. You know, Moxley comes out, you know, to, you know, help his friend. And then we get Christian all of a sudden, like, you know, join the fray and, you know, get in Omega's face. And it seems like he's going to be challenging for the title. Now, for me, it feels like a little too soon, honestly. Um, I guess they could build, you know, it up for like a TV match because we're like three, four months away from a pay-per-view mm-hmm. at this point. So I'm guessing this is just going to be like one of their bigger nights of TV. Um, but I don't know. I, I, something, I don't know, just doesn't sit right for me with like, you know, the ex WWE guy coming in and getting a title shot right away. Now, that being said, it's going to be a fantastic match. Like, and I'm excited to see it. (laughs) But once again, and I brought up their name earlier, something feels very like TNA to me about having like the, the retired WWE guy. Cause I mean, Christian was literally retired for years before the, the rumble mm-hmm. come into your promotion and get a title shot. Like right away. That's something that like TNA got into this, like bad habit of doing where it just kind of made the rest of your roster look kind of weak. Now I feel like Tony Khan's a skilled enough booker where that won't be the case. Um, but I don't know. I, I want to see more build up to that. I don't want that to be a, a, a match announced, you know, this Wednesday or anything. I want that to be something where Christian, you know, is building, you know, up his record and everything like that. And he kind of earns it more where it makes sense. So, um, but it, like I said, it's going to be a fantastic match. <laughs> don't mm. get me wrong. <clears throat> I assume they'll just do a bunch of six man stuff for a little while. And then maybe they'll build up to a title match. I guess, but we've got Moxley and uh, uh, Kingston versus the Good Brothers next week. So they're already in a tag match together. So, and, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll lead to them, like, showing up on Impact. That'd be pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like Moxley would be all about that since he's all about, like, showing up wherever the fuck he wants right yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did find out that... Uh, Omega is going to have a impact title match after the okay. next pay-per-view. I guess they're doing a unification match between with the uh, impact belts between Moose and Swan uh, at their next pay-per-view. And then the show after that is going to be Omega challenging for the belt. So it looks like he might have more than one belt in the next couple months. 
All right, the collector. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, no. Okay, Christian, this is gonna be a hard one to grade. Christian, I know what grade would you give this pay per view? Um, because I actually liked about ninety percent of the matches. I liked most of what we were got from this show. Um, you know, I don't want to grade with a curve though. I don't want to be unfair. Mm-hmm. Because imagine um, if this was WWE. Yeah, I, I, I'd give it a much harder time. Uh-huh. I'm sure. Um, I'm gonna give it a three and a half. Okay, I'm gonna give uh, them. I'm gonna settle there. I'm gonna give them three stars. Um, okay, because this was you know <laughs> built up so much. It was mm. such a major flub. Um, they just they production issues have just continued to haunt them over the last like year and a half. Usually it's more like audio shit and camera angles, but I mean, this was just, I mean, just too much for me to stomach and it's what, what the show was really sold on. I also think part of it is they really like ended up over hyping, um, the signing of Christian, uh, which yes. I'm super excited for once again, but the fact, like what big show said on last week's episode, like that should have been enough because then you had con you know, going on different shows and doing different press, you know, saying like what a giant signing this is, um, you know, how people are going to be shocked. And like, I think he even said like, you know, this is like one of his favorite wrestlers of all time, which he Christian probably is. But yeah. I think like it felt a little too carny for me, <laughs> you know, like don't like over promise things. You know, under promise or that way you over deliver in the long run Mm -hmm. Um, or just keep it a fucking surprise. You know, there's nothing wrong with a big surprise because what a surprise does, it creates this air of like anything can fucking happen. And then that alone will get people to want to buy the next show. You keep on doing that shit. You keep on having like surprises like that. That's one of the things that made like that attitude era and the, like the Monday Night Wars so huge because the shows felt so unpredictable. You never knew what you were going to get every Monday and it made the shows like can't miss. So if you set that up on your pay-per-views, then people mm-hmm. are going to want to fucking buy them no matter what. So I, I don't feel like they needed to, like, you know, even spoil the fact that you're going to have a signee. If you do, just leave it with what show said, and then that's it. And, you know, because people were going fucking nuts. Like, yes. <laughs> people were saying, like, Cena and uh, Lesnar. Just ridiculous. And th- that's uh-huh. partially on them. Don't get me wrong. But realize that's the climate we live in nowadays. So, like, don't set up people to be disappointed, you mm. know, if you know that. I mean, I agree with you. I think, um, like, I think this would have been a bigger moment if, you know, Christian had just walked out. Yes. Out of nowhere, held up a contract and just signed it. Everyone would be freaking out. Yes. And, would love- and it's not like this isn't something that we haven't seen them be successful with before. I mean, Sting, huge surprise. Yes. Fucking Moxley showing up in the beginning. Huge surprise. Yes. I, it's something that they know how to do. I just don't know why they, they know the formula and I, maybe they were worried mm. about buy rates. So they felt like they had to tease it more, but just leave it at that. Then just like let big show say his mm. piece and then don't say anything else about it. Cause you keep on hyping it up more and more. So 
it just got crazy. Where I was like, John Cena is not going to AEW. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> what are you doing? And then even though, like, show said, like, it's not who you think it is. You know, obviously referring to probably Punk, I'm guessing. Uh, uh-huh. But people, that was another one. It was like, oh, it's CM Punk. It's CM Punk. You know, it's like, just fucking relax. Uh-huh. You know, I would hope if, like, if Punk ever shows up, that they just have him show up. You know, don't sit there and hype it up. Don't do that. Because that'd be a bigger moment, honestly. So, and you should be all about making those moments. Exactly. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, Christian, it's past my bedtime. It sure is, old man. (laughs) Fuck you. You don't have a six-year-old who's going to wake you up in three hours. (laughs) Exactly. I will be asleep. Uh (laughs) Tell the people goodbye, Christian. Good night, everyone. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. I have been falling for 30 minutes. You can handle it from here.